Good morning, church. It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you with us this morning. I'm asking you to turn your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John at the end of the Bible. Uh, we're going to uh, use that as kind of the springboard uh, of our uh, text this morning and as our message as we continue in this series that we have entitled The Essential Elements looking at things that should be part and parcel to the life and and to the ministry of any church. And we've talked about preaching being one of those essential elements, how devoted uh, we need to be to prayer as another essential element, uh, to be extravagant in our generosity. And last week we heard an incredible story from our missionaries in New Guinea, Ben and Missy Hatton, about how they're taking the element of evangelism and missions to a group of people who had not heard the gospel before and how that That gospel message is changing the lives of Amdu people in New Guinea. And the challenge we heard from Ben, that we need to be taking that same gospel to our workplaces and to our schools so that we might see the same result take place right before our eyes. Now, we've got two more of these essential elements that we have been drawing from out of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we have the story of the church being birthed. And we see that this type of church is modeled there. And it's a church that longs to be biblical, that longs to glorify and honor Christ in all that we say and do. We use this church as our model, as our guide. And we see two more that come out of it. The issue of fellowship and hospitality. Now, in some ways, those are two sides of the same coin, fellowship and hospitality. And I'm going to kind of thread the needle as to not preach next week's sermon, which in many ways is the application of this week's sermon. Today, we're going to focus in on the issue or the essential element of fellowship. And then we're going to learn next week how we live out fellowship by being hospitable. And so this morning I want to focus in on this idea or this thought that the church should be devoted to fellowship. Acts chapter 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Over the next 30 some minutes, we're going to do those three things. We're going to devote ourselves to what God's word says to us, his people. We are going to speak on the subject of fellowship, hopefully then leading us to be better at fellowshipping. And then we're going to close out our service by breaking bread together. That is participating in the Lord's Supper, which reminds us of the unity we have between us and God and the unity that we should be striving for with one another. As you, many of you know, a little over a year ago, I lost my mom. And I was asked recently on the anniversary of her death, what I miss most by a friend. They, they asked, you know, what are you missing now a year has gone by? And I would have thought my answer would have been something really, really significant But I was surprised a little bit by my answer because I said all the little things. And it began to cause me to think about all the things that I miss. Yeah, I miss the big things about uh, that I don't have now without mom being here. But I find myself struck by the small things that are now glaring holes within my life. And as I came to this subject matter of fellowship, I wondered... If many of us might say that about fellowship, that we don't know what we've got until it's gone, because fellowship in some ways is going on all the time that we neglect, as I did with my mom, to see the significance and even the small things that she did. 
that now that they're gone are such big voids in our lives as a family and for me as a son. For some of us, we don't know how good we've got it with regards to fellowship because we've taken fellowship for granted. We don't know how good God is in His grace by giving us other believers because they're always around. That is until they're not around anymore. And so the early church reminded us that not only is the job of the Christian to be in fellowship with God, but we are too to be in fellowship with one another. In fact, John, writing in 1 John, will say that we can't say we have fellowship with God if we don't have fellowship with one another. That we make God out to be a liar and we lie ourselves. So John says this in in opening. We've learned a lot from John, of course, from his gospel. And he would write this first letter to the church and he would open the letter by saying this. That which was seen from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and yet we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What he's saying is we've met Jesus. We've seen Jesus. We've experienced Jesus. Uh, We have come to know Jesus. And he goes on and he says this. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. They had a relationship with Jesus. Now they're going to proclaim and share that relationship with their relationship with Jesus to others and notice the reason why that you too may have fellowship with us the reason why you and I will have fellowship with one another is because of our fellowship and relationship that we have with Jesus now we need to recognize that fellowship was an essential element of the early church They couldn't live without it. They didn't just go to church one time a week. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, they recognized they needed this fellowship with God on a daily basis. And likewise, they needed fellowship with one another. So daily they would assemble in each other's homes and have fellowship together. But this idea of needing fellowship isn't just a Christian thing. Men and women everywhere need fellowship. Growing up, in fact, there was a song that that people would no doubt be reminded of that reminded us of the truth that we need others and we need deep relationships with others in this world of fellowship. The song went this way. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go. Help me out. I thought I was the only one singing off tune. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows 
your name. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> that number one TV show struck a nerve in America, not because of the actors or the incredible plot line, because for one half hour a night, you got to go where everybody knew your name. The world longs for fellowship. And I want you to know this morning that of one of the things that Christ died for was not only to redeem you back to yourself, but to grace you and I with the fellowship that we long for. And so what the devil wants to do is the devil wants to break up this great gift that God has given his church. And so there's a lot of things that keep us from knowing other people's names, getting involved in other people's lives, experiencing the oneness that God longs for us. And so in this message, I want to do three things, and time is not my friend this morning. I want to look at the basis of fellowship. Then I want to look at the barriers that keep us from fellowship. And then finally, I want to see the blessing that comes from fellowship. And I'm hoping that that serves as a way for us to meditate and evaluate our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another when at the end of the service we partake of the Lord's Supper. So this morning, let's look at the basis of our fellowship. If we truly want to experience the fellowship that we were created to have, we need to ask the question, what is it? 20 different times in the New Testament, fellowship is spoken of. And it's spoken of different ways at different times. First of all, it speaks of sharing something in common. In other places, it means that there's a partnership that's going on. Still, in other places, it speaks about a deep bond that happens between two individuals. And finally, it is spoken of as an active participation where one is contributing or ministering to the needs of others for the good of others. So how do we put all of those definitions, if you will, for fellowship together? I would simply put it as this. Fellowship is the act of engaging Christians in deep interactions and relationships. It is the act of engaging other Christians in deep interactions and relationships because of the common things we share and the Bible's clear calling for us to live out a one another lifestyle. Let me share that again. Fellowship is the act of engaging other Christians in deep interactions and relationships because of the common things we share and the Bible's clear calling for us to live out a one another lifestyle. Did you know from the beginning God created us to have fellowship with Him? Unlike every other part of creation, God created you and I to have fellowship with Him. Now, it wasn't that we would just have fellowship with Him, but I want you to notice in the garden because of uh, our need for something more, and we don't think about this. Remember, in the garden, before there was sin, man was out doing the work of God. He had a perfect relationship with his God, 
He had a perfect relationship with his interaction with the world that God had created. And God says, after saying everything is good, God says of man, there's something that's not good. After the naming of the animals and dominion over the garden, God looks down at man and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. That hasn't changed. In fact, I might say in a world of sin, we need each other more now than even Adam did in the garden. And so even in a world of perfection, fellowship with God and yes, one another was necessary. And now you add sin, now you add all of this, and we need fellowship all the more. And so Christ, in redeeming us, redeems the fellowship that we lost with God, but he also redeems the fellowship that we lost with one another. So within the church, the essential element of fellowship is necessary because Christ died for it and gave us the opportunity to experience something you and I would never experience on our own. And so what brings us together? Notice the basis of our fellowship is fourfold. Number one, the basis of our fellowship is the same faith that we have. You and I have come to the same realization through the work of the Holy Spirit that this book tells us the truth. That this book tells us the truth about ourselves. It tells us the truth about our Creator. It tells us the truth about our sin. And it tells us the truth about our Savior. And so by faith, we have believed what this book has to say. We have declared it to be true. And we have now depended upon it to lead us and guide us so that we may please God in everything that we say and do. This book is what unifies us as Christians. We come from all different places all different backgrounds. We come as men and women. We come as rich and poor. We come from different ethnicities. We come from good lives and bad lives. We come from times of victory and to times of trial. And we all come and we approach this book on the same footing, believing the same thing, that God is our God. We are his people. And because of our sin, we've been separated from that God. And because of Jesus Christ, you and I can have life in him. And so that's our banner. That is why we can gather together and we can sing songs and we can pray prayers and we can hear the words spoken and we can amen and we can be in full agreement. But something happens between that and when we start hanging out together. And fellowship begins to break down. But notice the Bible says even more that it's not that we just agree to a set of principles and to a set of, of propositions about God or ourselves. But because of this work that Christ has done, He's brought us into His family. We have the same family. We share the same DNA. I was recently, Amanda and I were recently with some friends and the, the woman of the couple said that something crazy had taken place. And it was one of the craziest things that I had heard in a while. And that was after now almost 40 years, her parents divulged to her and her siblings that they had another sister. They had never shared. It was a secret that they had had, that the family had kept. But mom and dad, her mom and dad, 
had had a child before they were married as teenagers. They had given that girl up for adoption. It was a closed adoption, and they never talked about it again. And it by happenstance, mom and dad had filled out an Ancestry.com thing, and the daughter that they had had 40 years or more had filled it out, and the website had put them together, that it was a 100% match. And the lady was blown away that mom and dad, who were teenagers at the time, were still together, that there were siblings. And just recently, they were able to meet. Of which the woman said, I was blown away. She looked just like me. She talked just like us. She had the same humor as we did. She had the same idioms and idiosyncrasies as we did. Forty-some years had passed. Hundreds of miles kept our distance from each other. And yet the DNA of being a part of the same family told the story. That's why when we gather together, even with strangers, and we find out there's believers in our midst, there's this commonality. There's this connection. There's this level of sharing of things because we have the same Father. And because we share the same Father and the same faith, we are of the same family. This is a family reunion. And because of that, you and I have the same focus. The job of the believer, no matter who we are, is to bring glory to our Father in heaven. And the Bible tells us how. And so the Bible doesn't say to a couple of us, do this. And Jesus doesn't say to others, do that. And and to still others, do this. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And so he's given us a great commandment. And he's given us a great commission. And these are our marching orders. And so you and I have the same faith. We have the same family. We have the same focus. That is, we are moving in the same direction. We are wanting to accomplish the same goal. We are, if you will, working as a team to get to where God has called us to be. But even more than that, the basis of our fellowship is that we have the same future. That Jesus has said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back to take you to be with me forever. And by the way, we're like, man, I love that idea. To be fellowshipping with God for all of eternity. What an awesome thought. But I want to remind us that with God in heaven, we will share that fellowship experience with all of the same people. We'll be there with you and I together and the saints of old with all of their idiosyncrasies and all of their foibles and all of their issues and, and that. And God will bring this group of people together and for all of eternity in perfection, we will do what we're being called to do right now and that is fellowship together. Eternity will be a continual and ongoing fellowshipping with God and fellowshipping with one another. So, if you struggle a bit with fellowship here, I've got some bad news for you. It's what eternity is going to be filled with. So if you really don't like the greet time, suck it up because it's going to be a lot longer than a minute of it for eternity. 
We're going to fellowship forever. And it's this kind of stuff that ties us together. It's this kind of stuff that should make us tighter than brothers and sisters. It's this type of stuff that should allow our love for one another to cover a multitude of sins. The problem is, that's not the case. That's not where we live. Because we have allowed barriers to this essential element. We've allowed things in our lives to keep us from fellowshipping with one another as we should. So let's look at some barriers that keep us from it. Now, first of all, the barrier that we have comes as a result, book, the book of Acts says in Acts chapter 2, that we're not devoted or dedicated to it. The text says that we are to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Now, I want you to envision this morning that you came to church... And when I walked up this morning, I came up, I said, hey, good morning, church. So great to have you with us this morning. Um, I don't have anything to tell you today. I knew there was something I needed to do this week. I knew my calendar said study so I could bring something to Village Bible Church. But I don't have anything. So let's just close in a word of prayer and let's go on our way. I think a lot of you would say, wait a minute, Tim, you did not devote yourself to this important thing. And that church isn't church unless we hear a message. And so you have failed, Tim, in accomplishing what you were to be devoted to. And my church experience was not what it should have been. But how often do we come to church with no intention whatsoever of really fellowshipping with people? So we come, we listen, we sing some songs, we participate in prayers, we walk in, and we walk right out. No interaction, no fellowship, no nothing. And yet, there's a great number of people that are okay with this. There's a phenomenon that's been growing really in the last two decades, and writers have written about it, and it, it, it is church people going into church to be unseen. To be anonymous. This is the, the, the thing. To I, I want to go to church and be anonymous. To not be known. That is a contradiction of terms. You don't go to church to be just a face in the crowd. You go to church so that everybody can know your name. So that you can know their name. So you can fellowship with them. So you can do life with them. Has it ever dawned on us that when we come to church, the very reason we came to church isn't what we get out of church, but what we are to give to someone else. That God placed you in this church, in this service, next to that person for a reason. Maybe your job is to tell that person who's brand new to the church about Village Bible Church and your experience there. Maybe your job this morning is you are here. God led you here so that you might be an encouragement to someone else. That you might hold someone accountable. That you might challenge someone or comfort someone or minister to someone. Could it be that God has you here not for what you are going to get, but what you are going to give? Now... We don't even go there because there's barriers that keep us from it. Barrier number one, we have selfish attitudes. We have selfish attitudes. We live in a country that has built its greatness on this premise. 
You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. This rugged individualism, this John Wayne approach to I can do it, I don't need anybody's help may make for an incredible American romantic story about rugged individualism, but it isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible speaks of doing life in community. The Bible talks about collectively us making a difference together. And and, and some of us hear that and and, and the, the curse word socialist comes out. That's, that's, that's too much. No, I'm on my own. I don't need anybody. The Bible says it was not good for you to be alone. And so God has given us helpers. That's not a marital concept. That is a human concept. God has given us people to make us better. The problem is when you add any person to yourself, now that person has a say. That person has feelings. That person needs time and attention. And so now I can't just think about myself. Now, because someone is near me, i got to think about them. To illustrate that some years ago, one of my sons was fiddling around at home doing nothing. And I said out of exasperation, hey, why don't you call so-and-so and why don't you guys get together? It was a friend of his. He liked this individual a lot. He said, no, no, Dad, I don't think so. Wait a minute. Don't you want to hang with them? Yeah, but it's too much. What do you mean it's too much? And he said this. He said, if I invite my friend over, then I've got to do what my friend wants to do. And I was like, you nailed it. You nailed it. Now, you're selfish to the core, but you nailed it. Okay? Because you're absolutely right. If you invite another into your realm, now i got to worry about them. Now I gotta watch what they wanna watch. I gotta talk about what they wanna talk about. God forbid, I gotta listen to what they're talking about. I can't do what I want, when I want, how I want. Now I've got another I've gotta worry about. And some of us are approaching church with this individualism that says, it's all about me. And the second I add anyone else into the mix, now I gotta worry about them. So I'd rather just do it by myself. So I was talking with an individual in the first service and they said, I've got a, a daughter. That that's how she is. So she does church online. She never goes to church. She never is engaged with anybody else. And she says, it's just too hard. You're right, it's hard. Relationships are hard. And relationships come with struggles because now I can't just worry about myself. I have to worry about the other. Now, this isn't a new phenomenon. If you want to write this text down, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, it says the following. Turn your attention to the screen. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. The only way you and I will fellowship is if we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto other people. Listen, you and I could never, because of sin, have fellowship with God. You know what Jesus had to do? He had to put on flesh and make His dwelling among us. He had to come near and He had to fellowship with us. 
And so we need that. And why wouldn't others need that in our lives? But selfish attitudes get in the way. Number two, we have shifted our associations. Let me explain. We have shifted our associations. There's this cultural movement that has impacted the church, I would say, in the last seven to ten years. And it is that what we need for fellowship is unanimity, not unity. There's a difference between those two words. The Bible never speaks of unanimity, okay? Especially amongst human beings. It talks about unity over and over and over again. Unanimity says that you and I are the same. We're twins. We do everything the same way. We feel the same way. We think the same way. We do the same way. Everything's the same. Unity speaks of differences, but those differences are brought together under the same cause that's bigger than your personal feelings, personal thoughts, personal endeavors, personal dreams. And so you sacrifice for the greater good and thus bringing two to be one. The church used to pursue unity. Different people with different feelings and different thoughts coming together to be one. We have now fallen in line with the pundits who say, if there's not unanimity, that is you are the same, then that person is your enemy. Now, the problem is, is that there are enemies in this world, right? There, there are enemies. The Bible talks about enemies. But we have made the litmus test for fellowship that someone agree with you wholeheartedly, even on debatable or discussionable things, that we've broken fellowship with people. So, to help you understand this a little bit, because I think this is where some of us are living... Let's recognize there are three levels of where unity needs to be fleshed out. Number one, in our convictions. Write this down. Into our convictions. These are the things we hold dear. And as Christians, these are things that are plainly spoken of in the Scriptures. Who Jesus is. Who we are. How we get to Jesus. How we please God. These are convictional things. We can't have fellowship with an individual who doesn't believe what we believe about Jesus. It just isn't going to work. You cannot have biblical fellowship with someone who says, Yeah, I thought Jesus was a wonderful guy, but he's not God. Well, I believe he's God. Well, we've got a problem. We will never have unity because we are so far apart. The problem is in the church, we're not fighting on convictions. We start fighting over the next two things. That's issues of conscience and what I'd like to call choices. Issues of conscience are that we've gone to the scriptures and God has challenged me individually to do something. And he's challenged you in another way because they are debatable things. They are things that there's not one answer to it. And so we're doing things differently. This is what we eat or drink. This is 
how we educate our kids, how we uh, raise our children when it comes to raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. These are, these are things that we can debate. These are things maybe we see where one person in the Bible does one thing and another person in the Bible does another thing and both are commended for their faith. But we argue about these things. And we start saying, well, how can I interact? How can I fellowship with someone who sees it differently than I do? How can they have a, a different uh, outcome based on the information I have? It gets even worse because we get to choices. And that is the Bible doesn't even say anything about those things. And so the Bible doesn't even have a vested interest in it. But we have said, I can't fellowship with someone based on that choice. Did you know we just got through two years of that? That a piece of fabric over our face? A choice? Just so everybody knows, the Bible doesn't say anything about during a pandemic, wear a mask or not. And churches split over it. And people said, I can't fellowship with those people. You're right, you can't. Because you're being selfish. Because you are pursuing choices that the Bible hasn't even spoken about. And I'm telling you, and the world's watching, I've read more by secular writers in these last couple of years. They are just blown away at how much infighting is going on within the church. They're saying, wait a minute, I thought love, I thought unity. They're not unified, they're divided. And it isn't because of who Jesus is or the key tenets of the faith or the creed or what Bible has clearly stated. But fellowship has been broken because we've elevated conscious decisions and choices to be biblical truth when they're not. Listen, fellowship is there to make it possible. Listen to me very carefully. That you could be better by allowing people very different than you into your life. God has graced me with a partner in ministry. And you're going to think I'm going to Amanda. She is by far the best partner I have. But a partner in ministry who's very, very different than me. For 25 years now, Keith Duff and I have ministered together. And if you know Keith and you know me, we are very, very different. I'm loud, he's quiet. I'm a fool, he's wise. I'll eat anything on four legs and he doesn't touch any of that. I'm an athlete, he doesn't play sports. I mean, we're just so different. And it used to irritate both of us. Okay? Until both of us recognized that God had placed each other into our lives to make us better. And I want you to know that one of the things you're giving up by rearranging your fellowship, by just being around people who are like you, I'll break up fellowship right now. Who vote like you and who hold the certain things like you do. And, and I can't, man, I, they, uh, I can't. They wear that hat or I can't. They, they, they vote for that person and they, they must not be believers. You've just disfellowshiped in an area the Bible doesn't say. Be very, very careful. The Bible says we are to love one another like a family. And the blood of Jesus Christ transcends all of that. And your issue with fellowship right now, you're uneasy because you've allowed choices to become creed. 
And God says we are to have fellowship with one another just as we have fellowship with God. And we've made these choices and it's a barrier to the fellowship that God wants you to have. Could it be, listen to me church, could it be that God wants to make you better by introducing you to someone very, very different? Someone who loves the Lord with all their heart but does things very, very differently than you do. Now, I'm not talking about sinning. I'm not talking about uh, going against the Scriptures. But in areas of conscience and choice, they live life differently than you do. And can you see the good that not only they have, but the good that they can bring into your life? I've come to realize that some of the people that are most different than me are some of the best blessings that have ever come to my life. And they show me some stuff about God I never would have known. Finally, and I won't take long for this, but I'll just bring it out there. One of the reasons why we are having barriers to fellowship, we're just swamped with other activities. We just don't have time for it. And and there's nothing wrong with it. Listen, but all calendar is very full these days. A lot of sports. Work is busy. There's a lot of activities going on in our lives. But I have to ask the question, and I guess I would just ask you to think the same thing. How is it we can go an entire week and interact with the unbelieving world and it never dawned on us that we should interact with other believers? Surely there should be some time, there should be some opportunity. Maybe it means turning off the technology and getting out of our comfort zone and being hospitable, which we'll talk about next week. But in opening our hearts to fellowship, they devoted themselves. That is, they made a conscious decision to not do something so they create time and space to do this thing that was important to them. And some of us have taught our children and taught our families that fellowship isn't important at all. problem is, is there will be a time, there will be a place where you're going to need other believers around you. And that's a hard time to start building relationships then. Because it is in those moments you need those relationships to bring the fruit that time and attention and dedication have built over days, months, weeks, months, years. So we've got barriers. Which barrier before you right now? is keeping you from fellowship with those that you are doing life together with. It brings us to the blessings, and I won't spend much time here either, uh, but what blessings come with fellowship? There are three that I want you to think through. Number one, fellowship models to a watching world what the Trinity is like. So when I fellowship with you, I say you're important. Therefore, I'm going to create time and space for you and I to interact. I defer to your needs, your wants, your desires. I speak of you with love and kindness and respect. This is what fellowship is all about. And it is modeled to us by the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Deferring to one another, loving one another, speaking well of one another. I don't know how they do it, but no doubt 
bringing encouragement and, and extolling glory to one another. We see that in the scriptures. The Father, this is my Son who I am well pleased. The Son saying to the Spirit, He will do greater things than even I. It's this gushing and loving and self-giving of the Godhead that we now have an opportunity as Christ followers to show the world this is what our God is all about. Sacrifice and love and care and bringing glory to one another. Not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Number two. Fellowship gives us a context so that we might be motivated to love. It is very hard to love someone that you're not doing life with. Let me give you an example. One of our campus pastors is the news uh, anchor for WBBM radio. So I listen to Cisco in the morning, and he will talk about horrific things that have happened in the world around us. And because it's not in my area code, i got to be honest with you, I listen, I hear it, and I move on. But when I enter into that moment in fellowship with those people, now it means something. And so what I need to do is in fellowship, I need to enter into your world. You need to enter into my world. And it's when we do that, that we start having to love one another. By one of my boys inviting his friend over, now I've got to listen to him and do what he wants. And I have to empathize with him and sympathize with him. I need to do all these things. But when we live individual lives, we don't have to love anybody but ourselves. And so this morning you did the hard thing. You got up and you fit into the same room as these people. Now, don't simply walk in and walk out, but interact and fellowship with them. That you've had this shared experience, this shared moment, and now God has brought you two together for the opportunity for you to show a little bit more of God and who He is and what He's all about so that both of you will be better. And so fellowship is way more than a greet time or snack time at a small group. It is a God-given opportunity for God to use others who are different than you to make you better and to allow you to have a better glimpse of who God is which will allow us to worship and adore God in ways we never would without others around. So that leads us to communion. Communion is, and I'll ask the worship team to come out as we uh, bring this time to a close, but communion is our opportunity to fellowship with God. And it's a reminder that we don't fellowship with God alone, but we fellowship with one another. And so when the Apostle Paul says you need to commune with God, he brings up this issue of if there's any sins that you have with God, you need to get right. You need to confess them. But there's also this admonition that we are to ask the question, how are we doing with life together? Remember, John said we cannot have fellowship with God and hate our brothers. So as we come to this table, we focus a lot about our vertical relationship. But in this moment, in this place, 
I want you to go back to those barriers and ask, are there some selfish attitudes? Have I shifted some of my associations? Have I swamped myself with activities that doesn't allow for me to be the blessing God wants me to be in the life of others? And then when this service is done, instead of just getting up and leaving, getting to connect with someone, and maybe being the hands and feet of Jesus that God calls us to be.